Connell Tribune, Thursday the 11th of April 2019. A day out for the reworking of the Battle of the Boyne. A few weeks ago we made the familiar trip to Glasgow for the annual reworking of the Battle of the Boyne. Four times a year clash of the Titans in Scottish football. The descendants of the Guidor Taddy Hookers and the successors of the Reformation and John Knox. Personified at present by Neil Lennon and Stephen Gerrard. It's a clash of unparalleled rivalry within the football world anywhere. Nothing in England compares, or indeed throughout Europe. It might be for all the wrong reasons, but the old firm derby, and even the term old firm is contentious now, is a match of uncomparable tension, excitement, atmosphere, theatre at its best. 60,000 fans who create an atmosphere unlike anywhere in Europe. The football mightn't be in the same league as the top of the EPL, La Liga or the Bundesliga. But what it lacks in quality it makes up for an undiluted passion. Unrepentant Fenian bastards against the loyal sons of Ulster and Scotland. The descendants of Dalreda in contrast to the bog savages from the hills. The rebels against the establishment. All played out on a football field in the east end of the city or alternatively at Govan, the heart of the shipbuilding empire. I won't go into the actual match details, suffice to say at Celtic proved they're still the best by a proverbial mile, as they increased their lead to 13 points and virtually claimed an eighth title. It's a difficult time for their cross-city rivals, just as it was for Celtic in the 90s, when things were in opposite mode, and Rangers were going for 10 in a row, only befoiled by Celtic in the most dramatic of circumstances. So for the next two seasons, it's going to be something special as the tax dodgers attempt to stop it happening, while the hoops attempt to achieve the holy grail. Celtic are so far ahead at the moment, it's hard to see Rangers stopping them, but pride alone, even if they haven't the financial resources, will see them make a gigantic effort to stop 10 in a row. It mightn't mean a lot in the Megabucks, EPL or La Liga, but in the Glasgow Goldfish Bowl, it's everything. Brother Walford, soup, kitchens, feeding the Donegal famine, people in the 1880s, sustained the migrant tatty hookers. Dermot Desmond's billions sustained the modern equivalent. It might be spacious rooms in the Radisson or the Holiday Inn, rather than Crofter's cottages down by our sir. But it's still the same. Accompanying me in the journey was a neighbour and friend, Big Mal, a Coventry man. I brought him over to Glasgow in December for a European game and he loved it. Arriving in Glasgow on Saturday afternoon, we soon found ourselves in Malone's Irish pub where Andrew Milne of more than 90 minutes, the magazine I also write for, was hosting Celtic AM, a sort of chat show sort of uh, with ex-players and other celebrities. Last week with George McCluskey who played in the 80s, a few journalists, Jinky Johnson's widow, Sean Fallon and Charlie Tully's sons. On the Sunday morning we had to head out to Parkhead early to pick up the tickets. My son had sourced the elusive briefs from a guy in London who had a friend working in Hong Kong and wasn't coming back for the match. At the ticket office we met a Yank of Bavarian blood who had been living in Nuremberg the last 30 years. His grandparents from Bavaria who migrated to the US in the 1850s around the time of the famine here and similar hard times in Germany. He was an interesting character, a computer programmer from the 60s, 
retired and his passion was travelling around Europe to visit the great stadiums. When Nuremberg is his home, their team facing relegation. By all accounts, it's a lovely place. In the past 20 years, he's seen them all. The Bernabeu, the Lens Arena in Munich, Paris, Saint-Germain, the San Siro, Old Trafford, and many more, including Croke Park for a Harlan final. While he has a soft spot for Munich, his fairly regular destination is the Camp Nou, the Cathedral de Soccer, once home to Iniesta and Xavi and still the little genius Messi, a footballing god, although we can, can't refer to him as God now, according to Pope Francis. Jerry the German Yank, he's actually Gary, but when arriving in Germany 30 years ago, his workmates pronounced Gary as Jerry and it stuck. Jerry had been to the Camp Nou over 25 times in recent years. He's been blessed to witness the golden era of Messi. It's probably coming to an end, but it's just magical to say I've seen Messi in his prime. Just like me saying I've seen Georgie best. Messi, probably the best player the world has ever seen. That's debatable. Many will consider Pele, Maradona, the two, Moraldos, two Ronaldos, the original and the poser. Of course, we might suggest Georgie Best. Picking up the tickets was a rather nervous few minutes. No matter how many times you've been informed that the tickets are safe, it's not until you have those exclusive briefs in your hand that you can relax. Jerry had booked his through an agency in Germany and paid an absolute fortune for the package, tickets, flights, hotel. But the tickets were meant to be sent to his home in Nuremberg and when they didn't arrive, he was a bit apprehensive as to the validity of the agency, but he didn't need to worry. Our tickets took a rather more circuitous route to reach our hands, to say the least. It was the most difficult match to get tickets for. You'd have no problem with Barca, Bayern or Man U in the Champions League, but being present to do one on the tax dodgers and see the league table had put a premium on tickets. At Friends in Belfast, Donegal, Galway and Glasgow train, but up until the previous Thursday I had no luck. When as I prepared to tee off in Port Tumna Golf Club with our society, I got a phone call from his son in London, confirmed a friend of his in London had two tickets for me, having acquired them from another guy who was working in Hong Kong and wasn't coming home for the game, Eureka. So tickets in hand, we strolled up the Celtic Way at the impressive entrance to the stadium and passed an hour shooting the breeze. Miles' stories about his football days in the US, Jerry about life with Angela Merkel and his travels around Europe, and how his bucket list brought him to paradise in the first place. He said it's just one of those special places that football people around the world put on their list of things to do before they actually kick the same bucket. As we stood chatting, the Rangers fans appeared, only 800 of them which diluted the tension but as usual, their repertoire consisted of references to Fenian bastards, fuck the Pope, the famine's over, why don't you go home? Sad, pathetic, sectarian nonsense, which as Neil Lennon comment, commented on during the week, will always be there. Jerry, being American, German, made a suggestion which would make the Brexit difficulties appear as normal. He said, why don't the club sell scarves half and half, Celtic and Rangers, like you see at Champions League games? It would be a great fundraiser, he thought, and ease the tension. There were two old guys standing beside us who nearly choked on their bovril and pie. 
The teams arrived at the front of the stadium to vociferous welcome from the congregated Celtic fans, who had a less than friendly welcome from the visitors from Govan. We explained to Jerry they don't like each other. We parted company with our American German friend, went into the stadium early, enjoyed the build-up and the game, which is always pulsating. Celtic dominated, then Rangers making a game of it till Celtic scored a late winner to secure the league title, probably. As we walked down towards the Gallagher after the match amid 60,000 fans, didn't we bump into Jerry once again, and we headed into town in the Glasgow sunshine, which was as rare as Rangers winning the league. Jerry was struggling with a sore leg, and we took our time, decided to have a beer, but every pub was heaving. The Drover, Hoops Bar, Bar 67, and others. So we walked on into town and found a quiet place to rest our weary legs, where surprisingly we met Mal's nephews up from Coventry for the game. Coincidentally, on the previous day, we bumped into my cousin Michael and his wife on Argyle Street, and then later near George Square, we met my brother in law Kevin from Glasgow, but domiciled in Belfast. And outside Parkhead earlier, I met up with Jerry McGuckin from Letterkenny, but originally Clyde Bank, the diaspora who make up the incredible letter Celtic support. As we passed the evening at pre match, we heard word that Rangers fans had attacked a pub nearby and stabbed three people, one serious. Jerry was fascinated. He'd seen Bayern and Dortmund, Liverpool and United, Barca and Real, but nothing compared to the hatred and intensity he witnessed in Glasgow that day. Football is still the world game of the working class, despite all the modern day distractions. As we savoured a few cool pints in a Merchant City pub, I thought about the attraction of football. The team in the east end of Glasgow, what made a retired German yank travelling from Nuremberg to experience it? Or Rod Stewart and Finbar Fury in a corporate box as Grace belted out on the terrace? Or in Malone's, a dozen Norwegians who travelled from Scandinavia? It's a natural phenomenon. Of course, similar scenes will be repeated in the Champions League this week as at Spurs' new stadium, Ranfield Old Trafford, Ajax, Cruyff Arena, Nietzsche, Porto, Juve and Barca, the great stadium of Europe, embellishing the beautiful game. Celtic represents a community. It's not just a football club, that's obvious. You don't get 60,000 to play party Thistle in the SPL just because of the football. It goes way beyond that. Donegal people have travelled over a century to Glasgow, many making it their home and Parkhead their destination on a Saturday. After a hard week in the tunnels or in building sites or in the modern eras, IT consultants and sipping gin and tonic on O'Neill's in Merchant City while watching the rugby. Donegal folk have been standing on the terraces of Parkhead since 1888 or sitting as it is now in the modern new stadium. They were the famine people originally, then second, third, fourth generation, who morphed from Irish to Irish, Scotch Irish to Scottish. A part of the diaspora who retained their roots but became part of Scottish society. Last weekend I had five Scottish cousins at the match. Their fathers would have went to Parkhead in the 50s and 60s, both Donegal men. Another Scottish cousin's daughter brought her six-year-old her six-year-old, his grandson, the next generation. I met my brother-in-law. He was born in New York, his mum from Glasgow and dad from Belfast. He grew up in Glasgow, now domiciled in Belfast. His son and daughter were at the match as well. My son arranged the tickets for us. I've met so many. 
Donegal people over the years who've made the trip to Parkhead. One old guy, the late Ned Billy from Terman, lived in Glasgow during the 20s. He was fascinating to talk to. When I first when I met him, he was 90, he had clear memories of events 70 years earlier. He was in Glasgow when the British government sent in the tanks to Red Clay during the general strike in 1926. He manned the barricades, as many Irish did. He also made many trips to Parkhead and seen the great Patsy Geller, born in Golan, lived in Remelton before the family emigrated. Gallagher remembered as one of the greatest Celtic players ever. Only five foot five, he famously somersaulted into the net with a ball to win the cup in 1925. Brian Mickey Ban Galler, senior from Stragrady, domiciled in Glasgow, once told me he brought his wife to her first and last game many years ago. And when Rangers scored, she started cheering, not realizing it was the wrong team. She was never brought again. Sorry, Mary. And Tommy Cassidy, Kevin, the Donegal player's dad, was a great Celtic man, had a pub, the Celtic Tavern in Glasherhoo, bringing games via an American satellite long before Sky arrived. Tommy organised a great night back in the 90s, bringing Jinky Johnson, Bobby Murdoch and Bertie Aldover. And after the show, we retired to McFadden's Austin, Lockalton, to the wee hours and had a great time with the three legends. Sadly, Jinky and Murdoch have passed on, but had the pleasure to meet Bertie Ald again at Parkhead last week, almost 80, he's a character, a lovely inside left. We had Paddy Crown to the Lagoon once for a Kill Mac function, former Celtic and Man United player, and his roots in Guidor. Famously, he was a bit of a rebel, and the Celtic chairman sold him Matt Busby at Man United without telling him. He said that Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law told him he was due 10% of the transfer fee, but after a few months there was no sign of it. So he approached Busby, but the manager said, This is Man United, you just be happy you're here. Curran replied in his heavy, garbled accent, You can't do that, you can't, you can't. Busby never talked to him for six months till he approached him one day at training and asked, Did I do something wrong, boss? Didn't you call me a cunt, son? But Paddy was a great Celt and would have played in Lisbon only for that tiff with Bob Kelly, the Celtic chairman. Jimmy McGrory, the great Celtic captain and manager, either side of World War II and the leading goalscorer in British football with 550 goals at Donegal Roots. Used to bring the team over, staying at Carrigart, training along the beach and Downings when he was manager. Brian McLaughlin with Glen Barr Connections was a wonderfully talented player under Jock Steen, one of the first to break through after the Lisbon era. Steen described him as another Kenny Dalgleish, but his career was destroyed by a big ignorant fullback doing his cruciate and he never fulfilled the early promise, although he had a good career in football. Paddy Bonner's story goes without telling. A Celtic legend, 600 games, 80 caps for the Republic. And Shea Given should have followed him, but Douglish pinched him for Blackburn, while Celtic were between managers. He too could have been a Celtic legend. Players, managers, and of course fans make up the Donegal connection. The buses still leave Letterkenny at 4am for the Red Eye Ferry to Stranraer, while Ryan Ur from Derry and Belfast is a modern option. Dennis O'Donnell, Charlie McGarvey, Wee Barry and others lead the Letterkenny boys on tour. Paddy Sweeney was a stalwart before 100 season tickets under his control and famously got Rod Stewart a ticket for Seville in 03. 
Jim Barker from Rathmullen, a stoic Celtic man, used to share the journey with a post office worker from Letterkenny who happened to be a Rangers fan and wore Union Jack short socks. The crack was mighty in that car. Big Danny Murray in Glasgow with a mum from Term and a Celtic man to the core. I once walked through Brickton after a match with him, but you feel safe in a six foot four company. Other times you might find him climbing the hills in Loch Salt, but he leave the radio on the phone and ask the question all Celts do at 4.45 on a Saturday. How did the Celtic do? So that was it in Glasgow for another time, just a normal day out in a divided city. Rangers fans escorted into the stadium an hour before the game to avoid trouble. Two red cards, loads of yellow cards, full-scale skirmish at the end of the match between both teams. As Scott Brown celebrated in front of the Rangers crowd. Neil Lennon and Stephen Gerrard charged with misconduct. Three stabbed in the city centre and two pubs attacked. As Van Morrison would say, there'll be days like this. Or as Derry comedian Noel McBride back in the day used to tell the story about the wee woman in the bog said, but interviewed by a posh BBC tape. Now, Mrs O'Doherty, what's it like living here in the bog side? To which she replied, Ah, sure, there's rat and kneecap and shootings and bombings, but there's no trouble.